In a big city on a Friday night, the world is your oyster. Nightclub, Michelin-starred restaurant, indescribable immersive festival of some kind where you will almost certainly be physically touched by someone wearing a costume, and then you'll realize everyone is wearing a costume, including the attendees. And maybe that person wasn't even an official part of this whole thing, but instead just a guy wearing roller skates and a Phantom of the Opera half mask? It's all available to you at the drop of a hat. Or $50 to $300 plus tip. But in a place like Thief River Falls, Minnesota, you might feel like there's nothing to do. A lot of streets and roads in the evening are silent and dark. But there's more going on than you might think. You just have to know where to look. Trust me, there's a lot to get up to in this small town. Welcome to Episode 3, Beer Garden Confidential. For obvious reasons, evening activity in my hometown of Thief River Falls, Minnesota is easier to achieve in the summertime. That's not to say that on snowy nights everyone's in bed with a book and a heating pad. I mean, some people are. But plenty of pink-cheeked 20-somethings are packing themselves into houses in the middle of nowhere, guzzling Bud Lights. Or, if you were me at 22, wine coolers. While someone shouts, Whatever you do, don't flush the toilet. It only works 30% of the time. And stay out of my dad's shed. That's where he keeps the ham. But in the summer, it's significantly easier to hang out in groups. As a teenager, I remember walking past adults at the county fair and longing to be old enough to get the regular daiquiri and not the virgin one. First, so I didn't have to say virgin out loud, and second, so that I could sip it, adult-like, from a four-foot-tall novelty cup in the very grown-up shade of electric blue. I couldn't wait to take one of those cups home, since it's definitely the kind of thing you reuse on a daily basis for, say, a four-foot-tall glass of milk. I can't speak to the accuracy of this memory because it would mean there was a time when people could carry liquor around in the open air outside of a fenced-in area, but it's what I remember. I don't know when they first started putting up an enclosed beer garden at the fair, but that's a game-changer. I wanted to get behind that fence so badly even though I was pretty sure beer was kind of gross. But just like with anything else, if you tell people they can't do it, they become obsessed with it. When the day finally came that I could enter the sacred confines of the beer garden at the Pennington County Fair as a legal adult, I was thrilled. The sights, the sounds, the great times ahead. Of course, when you get in there, you realize it's populated with the same people you already know outside the beer garden. And it's very loud because of the people and also the cover band playing 100 feet away. So you're probably going to lose your voice asking your friend, Hey, how's the foot? I heard you broke it in four places. Or, didn't you briefly play the upright bass and orchestra? You still noodle around on that? I said, do you ever noodle on the upright bass? Bass noodling? But if you can get close enough to someone, 
and whisper just loud enough to hear each other, you can get all the latest gossip. Until, of course, you're interrupted by someone charging at you, drink in hand, shouting, I didn't know you were in town. Hey guys, look who's in town. The beer garden is everything I hoped it would be. But the beer garden was, of course, not the first innovation in county fair shenanigans. Historian Donna Meyer shared this quick story. The fairgrounds were about where the Catholic cemetery is now. It's close to there. They started having county fairs. It was when this was still Red Lake County. It was about probably 1893, maybe 1892, something like that. One of the first attractions to be brought into town for these county fairs was uh, airplanes because they were pretty new and there were people that went around and did stunts, stunt flying for these county fairs, one county after another, after another, after another, traveled around all over the country doing these, these kind of uh, programs. Well, in about 19, I wanna say 17 or 18, I think, a guy had flown, come into town with the county fair to do this program and he was kind of using his plane as a way of uh, getting to know young women, let's put it that way. Okay. And uh, there was a girl in town here who was actually living as a lodger and working as a milliner that is making hats mm-hmm. um, named Onada Stoppel. Great name. Oh, yeah. And she, he uh, invited her. She was 17 at the time, and he invited her for a ride in his plane. Now, this is a biplane that had the double wings, kind of the top and bottom part of the wings. She got up in the plane with him, and they flew up into the air, and she immediately jumped out of her seat and started walking out on the wing of the plane. What? Because she'd seen people do this, like probably the year before, at the fair. The earliest known instance of wing walking, which is what this is called, even though it makes no sense that this has happened enough times to have a name, was done in 1911 in a biplane built by Colonel Samuel Franklin Cody, whose two stepsons stood on the lower wings of the plane. Which sounds very much like something a guy who really doesn't like his stepsons would ask them to do. Anyway, back to Onada, who is truly out on a limb. Or a wing. Is a wing a limb? And this guy is freaking out, screaming at her to get back in the seat before she fell off the plane. And she survived the experience. She didn't fall. She got she back didn't in. fall. Wow. No. But wing walking was something that, you know, was done as a stunt. And usually I think they had some kind of safety belts on when they did it. They probably weren't noticeable, but they wore them and she didn't have nothing. One of the most famous early wing walkers was Ormer Locklear, who would not only walk out on the wing of a plane, but even manage a transfer from plane to plane in midair. A plane would fly up next to another plane while he stood on the wing, and when it got close enough, he stepped onto the wing of the other plane, not a parachute in sight. By 1920, Ormer Locklear had become one of the most prominent stunt pilots in Hollywood after his starring role in the six-reel silent film The Great Air Robbery in 1919. Locklear, keen to stay working in film, then signed on for his second movie, The Skyway Man, which began shooting on June 11, 1920. He planned to do a tailspin into an oil well for one of the stunts in the film. Bright lights were pointed up at the plane and he instructed the director to cut those lights once he started the tailspin, allowing him to see where he was going and to complete the trick safely. 
He signaled and went into the tailspin, but the blinding lights remained on. He crashed into the sludge pool of an oil well, and Locklear and his flying partner, Skeets Elliott, died immediately when the plane exploded. Onata Stoppel fared somewhat better. So anyway, I did look her up in uh, Ancestry.com to see if I could find whatever happened to her, because I kind of was a little suspicious that maybe this wasn't even really her name, but it was. I found Onata Stoppel, and she had a sister named Laura Stoppel, but, uh, who also lived in town here. Onata eventually married a guy, moved down to the cities, uh, a few years later got divorced, and then married another guy, and her, she, when she died, her name was Onata Elder. Onata Elder, still a great name. It's time to play your first game of Coob. The object of Coob is to knock down pieces of wood with other pieces of wood. So hopefully you've been keeping that wood-hucking arm in shape so as not to disturb the souls of angsty Vikings. I learned to play Coob in a bar that was formerly a restaurant that served me spaghetti with a twist tie from a bread bag in it. And when I told the server, she just grabbed the twist tie and said, yeah, that happens sometimes, and walked away. Anyway, more than a decade later, I learned to play Coob in that same building, after several ciders and probably some wings to keep my strength up. Coob is like bowling meets horseshoes meets pool meets blocks of wood. It is usually played on a pitch or, you know, just the far end of the bar where a jukebox used to live. The object of the game is to knock over as many of the opponent's Coob blocks as possible, and then knock over the king by tossing dowels end over end. Kub originated in Sweden when, I assume, someone had several drinks and thought these pieces of wood would be way cooler if they came into contact with other pieces of wood. Anyway, back to the game. You stand, dowel in hand, squinting ahead at the blocks of wood, finally ready to make your parents proud, something your PhD did not accomplish. In the corner of your vision stands the reigning local champ, John Joseph Jorgensen Yorg. You can't let that throw you. You focus straight ahead, flipping the dowel over and over again in your hand. Coob dowels are an extension of your body at this point. You squint even harder. What's the matter? Cat got your eyes? <laughs> Johnny Yorg says. You're not sure the twist he put on cat got your tongue really works here. But his cronies in their atrocious wraparound sunglasses laugh anyway. The bastards. You decide to power through. If you can hit the king, the game is yours, and so is the prize. A coupon book for local businesses donated by the Chamber of Commerce. A coveted reward. You grip the dowel, toss it up and catch it twice, and then throw it powerfully, end over end. The crowd holds their breath. And you've done it. Take that, John Joseph Jorgensen Yorg. Take that. When the Chamber of Commerce representative hands you the coupon book, you tear out a single coupon to hand to Johnny Yorg as a sign of goodwill. Ten dollars off an oil change. How generous. You nod slowly as he walks away. <laughs> yes, it was very generous. And you are a very good person. Thief River Falls vocab lesson, cruising the dubs, as in, last week the Johnson twins and I were cruising the dubs after a long day of playing Coob and we almost ran over some wild turkeys crossing the street over on Tyndolf there, but thankfully we didn't because they looked pretty mean and it's possible they could have overtaken the Chevy. My uncle got on the bad side of a turkey and he hasn't been the same ever since.
The double lanes are a portion of 3rd Street where, for a thrilling six-tenths of a mile, there are two lanes going one way and two going the other, with a small median between them. For the exhilarating few minutes you're on the double lanes, you feel you're somewhere else. Maybe a suburb. Maybe a quieter part of a city that feels like a suburb. The speed limit on the double lanes is a cool 30 miles per hour, and don't you forget it. Looking for a game that takes slightly less raw physical prowess? Well, have I got the place for you. This is Edith. Well, I was born and raised here. Um, we're actually sitting in the store, and the house that I was raised in is right behind it. Welcome to Chimera Hobby and Games. It's by the Dairy Queen, so you might as well get a blizzard first. Who could stop you? I've never left. I'm one of those people that have, for, I would love to travel, but I've never left. The store is actually 52 years old, three years ago. The 55? Yeah. <laughs> As a business, so I'm third generation. First, my grandfather, and he started off repairing outboard motors out of the building here. His dad came in, he added electronics, he computerized the system, he kept it going, and then he got sick and cancer. And I came in. Yeah, I had about six months before he passed, and then it was like, ta-da, you have a store. And at that time, it was a firearms, computer repair, model train store. You know, just the typical combination of trains, guns, and laptops. So how does a trains, guns, and laptops shop become a game shop? We, well, at this point where Mom and I were talking and... Dad and I had been talking about bringing in more games games. Mm -hmm. And we had actually been talking about Games Workshop and Warhammer. He passed before we could do anything, and I was talking with Mom. And Would this be interesting? Would this be anything, you know, would people want it? So we started asking around, and we were getting, Oh yeah, that'd be totally great! Bring it in! Bring magic! Bring Pokemon! Bring all this stuff! And I'm sitting here going, Let's... Okay, everybody's interested. Let's just give it four feet. Mm-hmm. Of the store space. Oh, okay. Four so feet, the rest which of the is store the one rack for yeah, one rack for Warhammer, mm -hmm. and we'll see how well that does because that's gaming, right? Um, I cannot measure twice, cut once. I um, measure thirty times, and it's still wrong. Uh, the four feet is now the entire store. The store was changing, and firearms made less and less sense. And then the final straw was two kids managed to get behind the counter and tried to play pull the rifles off the wall. Oh, wow. Yeah, at that point, uh, firearms and games don't mix, so we called it and sold them all off and used that to buy more games and do a little bit of renovation. <laughs> Eventually, the store name changed from Al's Repair slash A&E Railroad to Chimera Hobby and Games. Slowly, the games pushed out the... <laughs> the rest of the stuff and as far as trains we've got a corner of clearance model trains and i need to get rid of it okay rabid model train fans now's your time well i recorded this in july so maybe the hordes of model train aficionados have already passed through and gobbled them up chew chew chewing all the way home and in case you're wondering whether you can get the latest cartridges for your super nintendo here we don't do video games here. Mm -hmm. We do the face-to-face -face games, the get your kids off the screen games, the interaction and the social games. I grew. I actually had magic cards from the 90s 
in a binder that I had picked up. And then there was no one around to play with. So I, they just sat there. And then I was like, okay, well, as far as magic singles, this is what I'm going to start with is my, my little collection here. <laughs> and now I think we're topping out at over 100,000 cards. Wow. In the building. I asked her how business has been since games took over the shop. The response has been amazing. Like, we didn't think that it would be this good. Sometimes in a small town, even though there are significantly fewer businesses than there are in a larger city, you get used to going to the same places over and over again and forget to look up. We keep getting people coming into the store going, we had a guy that came in, he goes, I've lived here 40 years right around the block and I didn't know this this was a store. Period. Yeah. He didn't know it was a store. I was curious, given how much the business has changed since Edith took over, what her mom thought about it all. At first she just wanted to shut down the business uh. when dad died. She just didn't want it to continue. She didn't want to do anything with it. Didn't and want to be responsible for having to run it. No. Yeah. And it turns out dad gave me 51% of the business. You didn't know that? I didn't know it was coming or anything. So you got to what? His accounting the will and all of a sudden? No, there was no... The closest thing he left us to a will was a word document with one sentence. What did it say? Emily gets 51%. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. Edith and Emily are one in the same, but I'm sure you figured that out already. It's just, that was dad. That was just how he was. This like, right here is so northern Minnesota to me. An ailing older man leaving a single sentence to determine the future of his business and family? I can see almost everyone in my own family pulling a move like that. Except me. I will be leaving a scroll nine miles long and you're all required to read it out loud to each other and do all the voices. I asked what she thought when she suddenly inherited a surprise business. When you found out what that meant, that you were getting 51%. What was your immediate reaction to that? So it's all in my lap. Yeah, I was excited. I was, okay, let's do this. Let's see where, where it goes and just keep on going on. You know, it's the family business. Chimera has a gaming room where groups come in to play Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, and even Pokemon, often drawing in kids after school. Every Sunday, I run Dungeons and Dragons for a group of kids that have been playing for over five years. Wow, We've been that's running cool. it. And we're hitting that point where they're graduating, they're going off to college, so yeah. it's going to be splitting up, but that's what happens. Yeah, and then you just hope there'll be another group that takes up the mantle. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm thinking about an adult group this time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll be a player. Yeah. I'm a forever DM. <laughs> <laughs> Always a DM, never a player. Yep. I asked if she had any other staff. We do actually have one newer employee in training, Dexter. He's uh, half lab, half Bassett. <laughs> <laughs> I had one more question. I couldn't stop thinking about her dad who left her 51% of his business, who clearly trusted her to take it all on, to figure out the future of this thing that he put so much time into. Things got a little emotional in a very Minnesotan way, in that we both shoved it down as much as possible, and then laughed. What do you think your dad would think of all this now? Like, what the business is like now? I think he'd like it. I think he'd be proud. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of, you know, made it your own, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sure some people will hear this episode and think, but Allison, where's all the debauchery? What about everyone passing out in a field after consuming a bucket of SoCo or sour apple pucker? And the answer is, of course, that happens all the time. But who can remember enough of it to weave a coherent story? Sure, I once went to work with sticks in my hair because I fell asleep in a ditch, but who hasn't? And yes, the first time I ever had even one drink, I threw a hockey skate at a guy's head. I'm pretty sure he had it coming. If it makes you feel better, I think I missed. I'm not even sure where the hockey skate came from, but this is northern Minnesota we're talking about, so they pretty much just give them to you at the door. Next week on This Small Town, Allison chooses sides and hot local feuds and digs into the iconic brawl at City Hall. Thanks to Edith Kimbrough at Chimera Hobby and Games and historian Donna Meyer for talking to me for this episode. Even out-of-towners can buy from Chimera at ChimeraHG.com. That's C-H-I-M-E-R-A-H-G.com. To keep up with everything happening in this small town, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at smalltownpod and on Substack at allisonpage.substack.com. This small town is written, produced, and narrated by me, Allison Page. Opening theme music by Al Kong. Additional narration by Peter Townley. This small town logo also by Peter Townley. Special thanks to some folks who supported the Indiegogo campaign for this small town that helped me get this thing started, including Christine K. and Meg T. Extra special thanks to supporters who gave at the majestic Hambun level, and for whom I've written short bios as if they were born and raised in Thief River Falls. And for any supporters who were actually born and raised in TRF, I've reimagined your life anyway. I'll regale you with two of those tales now. Thank you to supporter Riley J, who invented the ham bun after having too many sandwiches with pesky toppings on them. The plaque commemorating the event features her most famous quote, There's too much stuff on here. It ought to be just the bun, ham, and margarine. Everything else is disgusting. Thank you to supporter Ashley Yu, who, when caught making out at Lover's Lane on a plastic sled one winter, coolly crossed her arms and said, What's the big deal? It's in the name, isn't it? And punctuated it with a shove off down the hill and had so much momentum she skidded out onto the frozen river where she had to wait to be rescued. Okay, until next time, remember, hi to the folks!